Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. Welcome to the second portion of my talk with my colleagues Sarah Pellegrini and Milan Savage. We talk distributed system. And in this portion of our conversation, we focused more on message distribution. I hope you enjoy this conversation and let's have a listen. So let's let's continue with this uh, with this message. So it's it sounds all in that uh, technically talking about it, it sounds pretty straightforward and I'm sure nothing can go wrong here, right? <laughs> but I'm sure something can go wrong here. So let's let's talk a little bit about that as well. <laughs> Yes, uh, a lot can go wrong. And uh, uh, as we said at the beginning, when you start dealing with distributed system, you need to be prepared to everything. Basically, <laughs> everything can go wrong. And uh, one of the most common situation is that um, your message is not delivered properly, right? So basically, right. there is a component that tries to send a message and this message um and basically, it do not receive any confirmation. So it may be that message uh, doesn't uh, reach its destination. It may be that it takes too long to be handled. Many things can happen. Uh, but a first strategy that we can use in this situation is to adopt our automatic retry mechanism. So basically, the infrastructure that is responsible to dispatch this message from one component to another, uh, anytime doesn't receive uh, a confirmation under a certain amount of time, or if uh, uh, there is an explicit error, uh, it can try again to deliver the same message uh, once more. So this retry mechanism is one technique, is one a technical solution that we can use in order to um, mitigate the problem of undelivered messages. Right. And so um, if the retry is working, then you receive your message properly. And yeah. um, right. So this is, this is a good solution. So um, what are the other, some of the other issues that can pop up here, Milan? We, you were... Yeah, having some points there as well. Yeah, so basically, I always get to talk about the circuit breakers because Sarah Pellegrini does not like them. <laughs> yeah, I hear she's a huge fan of it. <laughs> All right, so so Sarah, hold your ears while Milan is talking about this. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. So basically, in cases where um, retrying makes no sense, uh, you know that that server is unavailable. Uh, but there are parties, in, components in your uh, in your system that want to reach that information. It is uh, really useful to fail fast there, uh, and that's why circuit breakers are really interesting uh, mechanism to to be implemented. What they represent is you're going to get the information that that server is unavailable, and all following requests are you're going to fail them right away, because you know that for a certain amount of time, that component is not available. You're going to fail fast, you're going to improve your performance. However, from time to time, you need to go and check whether that uh, uh, failed service is up again, and then you want to uh, make the call again. You don't want to do this uh, forever. I mean, to break the circuit forever. So Sarah, I have to ask, why are you not a fan of this? 
<laughs> because it has to break the circuit. <laughs> uh, because I believe that uh, the, the evolving a little bit farther the solution, you can achieve a lot more with a failover mechanism. So instead of failing fast only, uh, you can uh, basically decide to not to break the circuit, but mm-hmm. uh, to move basically uh, to forward all the uh, requests that uh, was initially addressed to the component that is not available anymore to another instance that you can uh, start up on purpose for uh, uh, basically in case of the first one is not uh, able anymore to perform its task, or maybe you can have multiple instances and just uh, uh, address all the loads that was uh, um, directed to initially to the instance that is not working to the other instances that are already available. So uh, this is a, a more powerful way to to basically implement the same concept, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and, and get further results, which is great. Now, you both mentioned something that um, is, I think, is key here. So um, whether it's retry or um, failing or what have you, um, we want it to stop at one point, right? So we don't want this to keep going on and on and on and on. So let's talk about deadline a little bit, maybe. Yes. Uh, so far, all solutions that we covered for messages not being delivered are technical solutions. You don't, I, they basically do not depend on the uh, on the domain that you are in. Uh, deadlines is something that is related to the domain, especially how long you you are okay with waiting for that message to be right. delivered. So when you send a message, then you start your timer and say, okay. For this payment to be done, I can wait for 30 days or I can wait for one minute. If I do not receive the response back within that uh, time, within that deadline, I'm just going to compensate and I'm going to say, okay, this order is going to be canceled or uh, I'm going to cancel this payment, whatever was the business transaction. And this is where we can elevate the deadlines in in our system. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned is really important to note is that this is a business decision. And as you mentioned, with uh, the instance of a payment, sometimes you want to receive that payment um, almost immediately. Say I'm at a store and I run my credit card, and if that payment doesn't come, you don't want it to retry 10 minutes and the line behind me gets longer and longer. Um, as opposed to if this is, for instance, a utility company and you have 30 to 90 days to make your payment. And that's where that business decision comes in handy. So that that was a really, really great point to make there. So um, now there are ways to sort of enhance this, right? This um, uh, way of um, handling these uh, these situations. So the there is another problem, Sarah, that you mentioned, uh, which we have to consider in this distributed environments, which is uh, what what could happen um, if if it's impossible to distribute these. Uh, uh, environments and understand uh, the reason of the failure for a particular request. So maybe let's talk about the the message fails that can be reached uh, at their destination and how we can handle those. Yeah, because uh, indeed when you deal with distributed system, it's basically impossible for you to understand the real uh, reason of a failure, right? It may be that uh, your message arrived um, at the, its destination, uh, but uh, it could also be, uh, sorry, that it, it could be that the message do not arrive at its destination, or it 
arrives at the destination but uh, is not handled properly or basically it's handled properly but the confirmation cannot reach uh, back the initial component. Mm. Gotcha. So it is impossible for, for uh, the component that sends the request to understand what happened exactly, right? So if it doesn't receive the confirmation, everything is possible. So uh, in case, for example, we uh, adopted a retry mechanism, as we explained before, it is possible that we do not receive any confirmation, but uh, the message that we uh, sent has been executed. So we sent again and again a message that it already has been executed. So it keeps executing itself more and more each time. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it is very, very important that uh, our applications are able to to be tolerant, to be resilient to this kind of situation. So to tolerate multiple sending of uh, the same message. And this is something that uh, it's the key to make our application really robust in distributed environments because we cannot um, know uh, if the messages really uh, arrived the handle or not. So it's impossible to know that. And the only solution we have is to uh, basically uh, use this uh, design solution that allows us to be um, resilient to this situation. Mm-hmm. One of the main solutions that we can adopt is to make our messages idempotent. That is one of my favorite because it is a, a design solution and it's very, very powerful. And, yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit about that. What is this idempotency that we hear here and there? Yeah, yeah. Idempotency is basically the, 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 the property of uh, operation um, such that no matter how many times you invoke this operation, you execute this operation, you achieve always the same result. And uh, it is really dependent on the, the semantic that you use for your messages. So if your messages are designed in uh, the proper way, they can be handled in an idempotent way. Uh, we can do a very s- simple example here. Um, if I want to change a number of the, the number of the uh, item in my cart in the e-commerce, I can decide to send a um, command that uh, requires to increment this number. So increment item number containing the delta uh, that I want to uh, use to increment that, that number or decrement that number. Uh, unfortunately, this kind of uh, command is not idempotent because anytime it is executed, uh, it will uh, produce a different result of the uh, number of the item in the cart. Instead, if I use a different kind of semantic, so update, for example, uh, item number containing the new value of the uh, number of this item in the car, no matter how many times I execute it, I will achieve the same uh, the same result. So this is uh, the kind of solution that uh, um, we think that are very important in order to make uh, your application resilient. Try to think all the time in order to uh, implement, to design your application in such a way you have uh, messages that can be handled in an idempotent manner. And can we use caching in this case for our commands so that they stay in memory for a certain period of time that it doesn't have to be executed every single time, more and more uh, each time? Yes, so we can. So probably you mentioned a solution like the application, right, in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the application is uh, um, a technique that you can use anytime you do not have a natural identity in the context you are working on. So basically, if you um, cannot, for example, um, 
use technique like idempotency or uh, identify uh, basically the instance uh, in, in such a way you can uh, basically reapply the same uh, um, command without having side effects. Uh, what you can do is to basically uh, use the uh, artificial identity of the message itself, caching it uh, in order to avoid the double execution of the same command. I see, to duplicate the, the, the yeah. command over and over again. Gotcha. And um, so, Milan, in a case that we want to reject the message, um, how, how do we go about it? Let's say we just, the, the preconditions don't um, compare or don't match or anything like that. How do you go about that? Yeah. So this is a case, again, where we can have an identity. Order is really good example of that. So if for some reason... Uh, I receive uh, a command to confirm an order. I'm going to update my state, uh, state uh, related to that specific order with that specific order ID. And I'm going to say that this order has been confirmed. If for some reason I get confirm order with the same ID again, I'm just going to compare the, the states and I'm going to see, okay, this uh, order has been confirmed. So I'm not going to fire any order confirmed event. I'm not going to do any other actions. And it is really easy for me because this is uh, uh, something that is identifiable. Uh, now, this is a solution that we call a comparison swap, uh, which is uh, very well known in language design. Uh, right. There are atomic references, atomic variables that you have in a lot of languages. And there it is a technical solution, uh, of course, right? Uh, and in our case, we said that it is a design solution because what we compare and what we swap or what we basically in our case, it's not a swap. It is uh, more of execution, confirming the order. I'm comparing the identity of the order and if they match, I'm going to uh, confirm it. Uh, we see that as a design solution because it really depends on the domain, what we compare and what we uh, swap. What we're swapping, gotcha. So um, you both mentioned identity in, in these solutions, but why? what if there is no identity? In case there is no identity, uh, unfortunately, the only solution you can adopt is uh, the, the, the duplication, so the technical mm -hmm. one. So basically, this is a solution that you can take into consideration anytime you do not have a way basically to, to find a natural identity in, in the uh, business you are you're trying to implement. So mm -hmm. that's uh, a solution that you can use only if you cannot find a way to use the other techniques like uh, idempotence or comparison. Gotcha. And uh, so in the case of duplication, then sure, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, kind of straightforward. What if then um, the, you also mentioned another um, possibility that the messages can be delivered in a wrong order? And how do we manage that and handle that? So uh, one of the cases that we can do is uh, chaining our messages. So essentially... Just knowing that I sent one, I sent one message, and after that I sent a different message. They can be consumed in different order. So instead of just, let's say, if my pr programmatic order 
is one that doesn't mean that the execution order in different services is going to uh, resemble that one that I have. Uh, so in order to overcome that, one solution can be chaining our messages. So we can say, okay, firstly, I want to confirm this order. Once I get a response that that order has been confirmed, then I'm going to request the payment and wait for the response that the payment is confirmed. Now I'm forcing the order uh, of uh, message delivery. Messages, depending in our case on the network uh, speed, uh, network latency, can be delivered in different order, but to me it doesn't matter because with my design, how I design this business transaction, uh, it is completely irrelevant uh, what protocols are used, whether my network is slow or not. Uh, it is always going to execute uh, consistently and, and due to be in order with the business rules. Gotcha. So then in this case, uh, we're ordering the messages based on um, what we want to uh, see first, executing, then next, and so on. Is this then the same as cause and effect, or is it different, Sarah? So it's very, very similar, but slightly different. So one is, uh, um, so the, the, the one that Milan just explained is basically uh, the concatenation of uh, these uh, messages, right? So I wait for the confirmation of the, the one before, before to send the second one, right? Uh, in the mm, causality, uh, it's a, a slightly different because it's exactly basically the event uh, that is um, published as a consequence of the first command that trigger the sending of the second command. So basically, um, it is impossible that, that the second command is executed before the first one because it is the event published by the execution of the first command that is the, the real trigger of the sending of the second command. So uh, it is slightly different, but basically the result is the same. Gotcha, that makes sense. So um, how can we be also lenient when it comes to um, ordering these messages? Can you talk a little bit about that, Mila? Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in this case, um, what you took as an example is reading the temperature from, uh, from a sensor. Uh, if we receive messages in different order, if we are displaying that on the UI, it's not that big of a deal. But let's say that we have some barrier, and if temperature passes that barrier, we want to trigger a certain operation. If temperature goes below that barrier, then we want to trigger a different operation. And here, receiving messages in different order can have really, really bad influences on our system. So okay. one of the solutions is to be lenient about that and to, let's say, introduce a time window in which we are going to collect several measures from the sensor and we are going to apply some reduction function on, on those values. It could be an average, could be a mean, whatever we choose depending on our domain. Uh, and then we are going to use that uh, reduced value uh, to make any decision. And hopefully, I mean, even more statistically, we are going to have uh, better decisions because our um, our reduced value is going to have more uh, real value than the than the ones that we read maybe in the wrong order. So that's gotcha. how we can average uh, leverage the lenience. 
leniency. So um, now you did talk about uh, various tools that we can use, the uh, chaining the messages, cause and effect, being lenient and so forth. So can we uh, enforce some kind of transport protocol? Yeah, yeah. The transport protocol is some technique that is a technique that we can use sometime, uh, but um, in a limited situation. So, for example, if we want to enforce the order, uh, if we want to guarantee the order of messages delivered from one component to another, we can use a TCP channel that guarantees the ordering of messages. And this is fine, but uh, what happens if you want to scale up, for example, the instances of one uh, component of the destination component, right? In this case, we have two instances, two TCP channels. It is impossible to use the protocol to guarantee the ordering of the messages. So one thing that uh, we can do um, is to decide to deliver all the messages that requires to be handled sequentially to the same instance in, in such a way that the only the messages that uh, need uh, to have a sequentiality are uh, taking advantage of the transport protocol. We can do that uh, for using, for example, a consistent hashing algorithm and um, using as a key uh, the key that determines this uh, sequentiality. So basically, let's say all the messages that, for example, um, in our e-commerce uh, business case, uh, are uh, have a, uh, even customer code can be dispatched to an instance, all the messages with an odd customer code can be dispatched to the other instance. In this way, we, we can enforce that all messages related to the same customer are handled sequentially. We don't care uh, the order uh, of uh, handling two messages that are related to two different customers. So it's fine. Uh, unfortunately, this technique, it cannot be used in all the situations. There are situations, for example, when we need to enforce the ordering of two messages that need to be um, necessarily sent to two different components because are two different kind of messages. Uh, there is no one com one single component that can handle both of them. So in this case, you cannot take advantage of uh, the protocol, the transport protocol. So basically, yes, transport protocol and techniques like uh, consistent hashing can uh, help us uh, reducing basically alleviate the problem of message delivered in the wrong order. But yes, the best is, as, uh, as usual, to, to find a proper uh, design that uh, um, is capable of solving this kind of problem um, at the business logic uh, level. Right, and that makes sense. Um, so we did a little bit ago talk about um, some non-functional requirements that um, may happen in our systems. For instance, if there is a team uh, joining that needs to take care of a different component within the system, different, um, say, deployment cycle or anything like that. Um, can we talk about those non-functional requirements a little bit um, that are changing, um, I guess, consistently or sometimes can change a little bit, Milan? Yeah, so when non-functional requirements change, we do not want that our business logic changes. Uh, we want that our... Uh, code related to the business logic stays the same. Uh, in order to help us with that, we have a location transparency. Uh, location transparency is a concept that tells us that a component should neither be aware 
off nor make any assumptions about the location of components it interacts with. Or even better, not even of which components it interacts with. So I just do not care. I want to, uh, to have something done. I want to send a message. I know about the message. That is my API. Uh, and I do not care uh, which component handles it. Of course, that cannot be done that easily, right? So if I want to communicate with another component, one traditional style is just to open HTTP connection and send it a message. This is not location transparency because I know the location. I have to know the exact host. I have to know the port, etc., etc. So what we can do is to introduce an infrastructural component uh, in Axon Framework, of course, we have a lot of buses. I believe that our listeners are aware of those. And exactly what buses uh, give us is uh, this location transparency. It is an infrastructural component. It gives us a flexibility in uh, distributing our messages. I have a reference to the message bus. I send it a message. I do not care where the other component is. The message bus knows. Uh, so what I need to do uh, in cases when I want to change the deployment structure of my application, I extract that business logic with, which stays the same. And what I need to change is the implementation of the message bus instead of a local implementation that can, con can communicate uh, in a single deployable unit, let's say a JVM or CLR if you're in .NET world. Uh, then we can use a distributed implementation that knows how to communicate over the wire to different components in our system. So uh, when non-functional requirements change, again, I underline that doesn't mean that our business logic has to change, only infrastructure has to change. That makes sense. And I think this uh, location transparency is uh, key to... Uh, be able to kind of go because what we call sometimes as uh, evolutionary microservices, right? You start with a monolith and then uh, with a good API design, then you can actually break up your systems as uh, you go. And as you mentioned, Milan, uh, really well is that, that um, again, it's, it's important to note that the business uh, requirements and functionality does not change um, and you can still make the, um, so to speak, design changes if you need that are um, uh, within creating this sort of monolith um, onto the microservices, this evolution basically uh, happening in this case. So we use the messages, we use these message buses, we use uh, the business and infrastructure logic, decoupling in this case that happens through that location uh, transparency, and then we can uh, evolve our infrastructure that way. So now with that said, uh, can we talk a little bit about um, streaming a little bit where the components have to communicate uh, by sending single messages and, you know, waiting for those messages to be received and so forth? Uh, yes, we can. Uh, so uh, when uh, we... <laughs> Please delete this one. <laughs> so um, when we basically... Um, Yes, um, 
Dealing with the uh, distributed system um, means also dealing with latency of uh, network communication. That means that uh, when you are basically communicating in the same executable, the communication is super fast. But when maybe you need to communicate with a component that is uh, uh, deployed on the other side of the world, uh, you have, of course, a delay in uh, sending and receiving messages. So um, the traditional approach of synchronous operation um, that you can use basically sending a request and waiting for a response to this request um, can be very, very affected uh, by latency because you need to wait the full uh, request and response process finish before to send the next command, the next request. So in order to take to, to reduce this um, uh, this effect on our performances, what we can do is to decide basically sending uh, many messages uh, without waiting for the confirmation for the response. So we can send all the requests in a single continuous stream. Um, and basically what we can do is to also uh, reply, um, so to send responses to all these uh, uh, single messages or single requests in a continuous stream that uh, flow back from the second component to the first one. And we can correlate request and response with some uh, uh, correlation identifier. So this is a technique that improves a lot of performances when we need to deal with distributed environment when the latency uh, can affect our uh, our performances yeah and of course uh, of course we are then dealing with back pressure as well which uh, with both of you we did uh, record an episode talking extensively about latency and back pressure so that's uh, I highly recommend the listeners to uh, give that a listen so um, but just quickly can we um, just touch on back pressure um, if you don't mind yeah, yeah, yeah. Back pressure basically is a very powerful technique because uh, even if streaming, uh, basically sending messages and continuous streaming can improve a lot of performances, we need also to be very sure that all the components in the pipe uh, are able to um, to handle, to um, respect the pace, right, of the incoming message. Because if uh, one component could not do that, the problem are pretty obvious. So um, in order to... Uh, so to tolerate, let's say, uh, uh, an increased load in terms of incoming messages, a component can, for a certain period of time, um, basically uh, buffer the messages that need to be handled and uh, to be more resilient, right? But after a while, if the load continues for too long, uh, basically the components uh, will end up collapsing. So in order to avoid this, we can use this uh, back pressure mechanism that is basically um, something that changes the perspective. It's not the, the first component that pushes messages towards the second one, but it's the second one that pulls. So basically uh, requesting more and more events as soon as it is ready. So as soon as the buffer is uh, empty enough to, to basically uh, request more. So that is a technique that is very powerful when you're uh, handling uh, streaming, but um, it is not always the good solution because there are certain business where slowing down is not the, the best option, better to crash in some situation. So right. if uh, your, your business tolerate um, the, the fact that uh, uh, the, the, some components can slow down the, uh, the pipeline, it's, uh, it's perfect to use back pressure. 
Makes sense. Now, in uh, cases that we don't want to basically send these mes messages one by one, uh, can we optimize the performance a little bit better, Milan? Can we use something like batching? Yes, of course. Uh, so batching is a technique that is really, really old. Uh, whenever you need to send a message over wire, it is always better to send several messages over uh, the wire. Uh, because with each message, we need to have a header, we need to have some metadata attached to it, some other information. So instead of sending uh, only one and then one by one, it is sometimes better to wait for a, a batch to fill and then send the whole batch. Here is really a trade-off to know uh, how long you should wait for the batch to fill and how much messages, sorry, how many messages you want to send. So in certain cases, a batch can uh, consist of one message, two messages, or it could be 10, 20 messages, depending if you have a burst uh, load on your system, then your batch is going to be uh, a, little, a little bit uh, fuller, I would say. So yeah, definitely batching just uh, reducing the footprint on the wire will imp improve performances. Also, if you process messages in a, in a batch way on the recipient side, it will also improve performances. Makes sense. So um, lots of uh, great ways to um, implement these ideas um, if you're going from a monolith to a distributed system. Um, as Milan, you mentioned at the beginning, if there is a need to do so. If you don't need to, don't do it. There's a lot that you have to consider. And I'm so glad that you both um, mentioned that not everything is technical. A lot of this has to happen uh, on the design part of it with the business question at hand and business requirements. So that's really important to focus on because um, as we sometimes talk about uh, solutions as technical side of things, we always feel like technical solutions are the best solutions, but that's not always the case, is it? We have to look at the design as well. And I'm so glad that you brought this um, really important topic uh, into sort of light and shine some uh, brighter light on it. So fantastic. Thank you both for this really, um, yet again, very insightful session. I always have a great uh, amount of fun listening to you both and learning from you because this is really great stuff. So again, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear more about you're doing another conference, right? Coming up in June. Yes. Yes. We will be at DDD Europe. In Amsterdam, right? In Amsterdam. Yeah. Great. So what are the dates just in case uh, folks are around the area or joining? So I'm not sure, but I think that we, our talk will be the 23. So the conference okay. will be uh, four days, but mm -hmm. our talk will be one of the uh, one day between 23 and 24. I, I believe 23. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the the full um, um, calendar should come out soon if it's not there yet. So that's wonderful. Um, I can't wait to hear more about that. And we also at Axon have our own conference coming up in September, end of September. And um, not sure if you two are speaking in that conference, but I hope you do because it's always fun to listen to you. Um, but in any case, uh, that uh, conference, I believe, is happening September 22nd and 23rd. So that's uh, really exciting to, uh, to know. And it's going to be in person. So I'll be there, which is really cool. Um, anyways, thanks again. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and uh, I can't wait to talk to you later. 
Thank you, Sarah. Thank it's you, Sarah. Great being here again. Thanks. Absolutely. I always have great fun. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my talk with Sarah and Milan. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join me next time as I discover other topics that are really interesting with wonderful guests such as Sarah and Milan. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.